0: Hi, welcome to the podcast. In this session, we will cover multifetal gestation. The term multifetal gestation includes twins, triplets, and higher order multiples. Multiple births are increasing in the United States and account for a large proportion of neonatal morbidity and mortality. Twins can be classified as either monozygotic, originating from the same fertilization and subsequent division of one egg, or dizygotic, originating from the fertilization and development of two eggs. Approximately one-third of twins are thought to be monozygotic in the United States. Twins are further classified based on their chorionicity. Dizygotic twins are always dichorionic, Diamniotic, the chorionicity of monozygotic twins, however, depends on the timing of division of the fertilized egg dichorionic diamniotic twins result if the fertilized egg splits zero to three days after fertilization. This is thought to occur in about 20 to 30 percent of monozygotic twins. Monochorionic diamniotic twins occur if division occurs four to eight days after fertilization. This accounts for approximately 70 percent of monozygotic twins and is the most common type. Monochorionic, monoamniotic, where both twins are in the same sac, are the most dangerous and are the more rare. This occurs in only about 1 to up to 5% of monozygotic twins. This result occurs due to division happening about 8 to 12 days post-fertilization. Conjoint twins occur when division occurs 13 days or later after fertilization and is extremely rare. In terms of etiology, the etiology of monozygotic twins is unknown, but is thought to represent a random sporadic event. Dizygotic twins are thought to result from ovulation of multiple follicles caused by elevations or spikes in serum gonadotropin levels, specifically FSH. Therefore, advanced maternal age is associated with an increased prevalence of twin birth due to dizygotic twinning. The availability of assisted reproductive technologies has contributed to the increase in multiple gestations seen over the last 20 to 25 years. During ovulation induction treatment, the ovaries are stimulated to produce several follicles, thus increasing the risk of multiple eggs being released and subsequently fertilized. The risk of multiple gestations during in vitro fertilization is directly related to maternal age and number of embryos transferred. When two embryos transferred, the risk of a multiple pregnancy is about 22 and 19 percent for women aged 20 to 29 years and 30 to 34 years, respectively. This risk increases to about 45% in women aged 20 to 29 years and about 40% for women aged 30 to 34 years if three embryos are transferred. Dizygotic twinning can occur more frequently in some families. This is thought to be secondary to genetic factors leading to ovulation of several eggs during the menstrual cycle. In contrast, once again, monozygotic twinning has not been shown to have a familial inheritance because it is likely a sporadic event. All right, well, let's get into the incidence of twinning. Remember that the incidence of monozygotic twinning tends to be fairly constant across nations because it tends to be a sporadic random event. However, the incidence of multiple gestations does vary based on regional variations due to dizygotic twinning rates. For example, in Nigeria, the rate of twinning has been reported to be as high as 49 per 1,000 births, but in Japan, the rate of twinning is about 1.3 per 1,000 births. Well, let's talk about the rate of spontaneous occurrence of twins, in other words, the chance of having a twin pregnancy without the use of assisted reproductive technologies. For spontaneous twins in the U.S., the rate is about 1 in 80 pregnancies, but for spontaneous triplets, the incidence is about 1 in 8,000 pregnancies. Now in the U.S., the rate of dizygotic twins has increased over the last about 20 years because of the increased use of assisted reproductive technologies and older maternal age. Alright, so let's remember this clinical pearl. Monozygotic twinning tends to be sporadic and random, whereas dizygotic tends to be varied based on the patient's race and maternal age. As maternal age increases, the risk of dizygotic twinning also increases, and this is thought to be due to increased levels of follicle-stimulating hormone with advancing maternal age. Okay. Okay. Now, although the frequency of multiple gestations is lower than singleton gestations, multiple gestations account for a disproportionate share of neonatal morbidity and mortality. Much of this is attributed to the higher rate of preterm delivery for multiple gestations. The mean gestational age at delivery is 35 weeks for twins, 32 weeks for triplets, and 29 weeks for quadruplets, so as a result... 25% of twins and up to 75% of triplets require admission to the neonatal intensive care unit. Neurological outcomes also appear to be worse in multiple births. When matched for gestational age at delivery, infants born from multifetal pregnancies have about a three-fold increased rate of cerebral palsy. Also, there's an approximate five-fold increased risk of stillbirth and seven-fold increased risk of neonatal death. The fact that monochorionic gestations can share placental circulation raises the risk. Monochorionic gestations are at risk for twin to twin transfusion syndrome. This can occur in about 15% of monochorionic pregnancies. Twin to twin transfusion syndrome is thought to be caused by vascular anastomosis between the placenta, causing one twin to become underperfused, that's called the donor twin, and the other twin to show signs of overperfusion, that's the recipient twin. Pregnancies complicated by twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome are at slightly increased risk of neonatal morbidity and mortality, but it increases that risk based on the degree of twin-to-twin transfusion. Now, maternal morbidity is also increased in multifetal gestations. Women with multiples are more likely to be hospitalized with complications from preterm labor, preterm pre-labor rupture of membranes, preeclampsia, placental abruption, pulmonary embolism, and postpartum hemorrhage. As a result, hospital costs are higher in these pregnancies. Well now let's get into the diagnosis of a twin pregnancy. Ultrasound examination remains the most reliable method for diagnosis of multiple gestations. Multiple gestations can also present as a size greater than dates discrepancy on physical examination. Chorionicity should be established as soon as possible during pregnancy because it can affect future management decisions. The optimal time for diagnosis is the first trimester or the early second trimester. The most reliable predictor of a dichorionic gestation is the presence of two separate placentas. However, if the placentas have fused by the time an ultrasound exam is performed, a dichorionic diamniotic gestation can show evidence of a twin peak or a lambda sign on ultrasound. This refers to a triangular portion of chorion fused between two layers of amnion. Once again, the twin peak or the lambda sign is compatible with a dichorionic diamniotic gestation. In contrast, a monochorionic diamniotic gestation can have the presence of a T-sign, which is the appearance of the amnion as it comes off the placenta at a 90-degree angle. So once again, a lambda- or a twin peak sign represents a dichorionic diamniotic gestation, whereas a T sign signifies a monochorionic diamniotic gestation. Remember, only chorionicity can be determined on ultrasound. Zygosity is a genetic concept and requires either DNA analysis or simply waiting until the children are older to see if they are identical or not. Okay, now that we've covered diagnosis as well as risks, let's get into antepartum assessment in the next section. Given the increased risk of fetal growth restriction and growth discordance, especially in monochorionic twins, serial growth ultrasounds are recommended beginning in the second trimester around 26 to 28 weeks. Remember, this is especially important in monochorionic twins. The use of serial ultrasounds for growth in dizygotic twins is less established and more controversial. In monochorionic twins, ultrasounds should be performed as soon as every two weeks, but usually every four weeks to look for evidence of twin-to-twin transfusion and growth discordance. In dichorionic twins with concordant growth, growth scans can be performed about every four to six weeks in the absence of any other pregnancy complication. Multiple gestations, remember, are at increased risk for stillbirth. However, the American College of OBGYN does not advocate for routine antenatal testing with non-stress tests or biophysical profiles in multiple gestations unless other pregnancy complications exist. Now, even though multifetal gestations are at risk of preterm birth, there are no known interventions that have been shown to prolong a pregnancy in women with multifetal gestations. Again, this includes prophylactic cerclage, bed rest, tocolytics, or even progesterone. Alright, so let's hang out there for a minute because that's a clinical pearl. According to the ACOG Practice Bulletin on Multifetal Gestation and Prevention of Preterm Birth, available data regarding the efficacy of cerclage placement, progesterone supplementation, or both for the reduction of preterm birth in women with multiple gestations, either with a short cervix or with a prior preterm birth history, do not support their use. Progesterone treatment does not reduce the incidence of preterm birth in women with twin or triplet gestations and ACOC states it's not recommended as an intervention to prevent preterm birth in women with multiples. Similarly, no data are available regarding the efficacy of cerclage or bed rest to help women maintain pregnancy when they have a multiple and especially bed rest should be avoided due to the risk of thrombotic events. Multifetal pregnancies reach a nadir of perinatal mortality earlier than singleton pregnancies. For twin pregnancies, this occurs at about 38 weeks gestation, and for triplets, it occurs at about 35 weeks gestation. Timing of delivery has not been well established in higher order multiples, and it should be individualized prospect of evidence regarding the optimal timing of delivery for twins is lacking, but there is some consensus agreement. ACOG recommends the following in terms of timing of delivery. Uncomplicated, dichorionic, diamniotic twin pregnancies can be allowed to reach 38 weeks, but should have delivery at that time uncomplicated monochorionic diamniotic twins should have delivery between 34 weeks and 37 weeks and 6 days. Uncomplicated monochorionic monoamniotic twins should have delivery at 32 to 34 weeks, and the earlier the better, since monochorionic monoamniotic twins, again, those are the two twins in one sac, are at the highest risk of intrauterine fetal demise. Regarding mode of delivery, the mode of delivery will be influenced by the presentation of the twins. The most common type of twin-twin presentation is cephalic-cephalic or vertex-vertex followed by twin A being cephalic and twin B being breech. Other combinations follow after the two most common types. Mode of delivery should be determined by the position of these fetuses. Routine planned C-section has not been shown to be a significant difference in perinatal or neonatal mortality, neonatal morbidity, or maternal morbidity. Vertex to vertex twin presentations occurs in about 42% of twins. A trial of labor is generally accepted in this situation, with delivery occurring in a setting that allows efficient conversion to a C-section for the second twin if indicated. Now here's a quick clinical pearl. Multifetal gestations, specifically twins, are not a contraindication to a trial of labor after C-section if a patient has had one prior C-section and desires a VBAC trial. Cesarean delivery is usually indicated in the presence of non-vertex twin presentation. In other words, when twin A is non-vertex, that's usually a C-section. A C-section is also indicated in the cases of monoamniotic twins and higher order multiples. Now regarding delivery, when twin A is cephalic and twin B is breech, breech extraction of the second twin has been shown to be effective and safe when the physician is experienced and twin B's birth weight is smaller than twin A. Okay, now that we've covered delivery and most of the basics of multifetal gestation, we got to remember one basic issue with all multifetal gestations, and that's the issue of congenital anomalies. Congenital malformations are twice as common in twin pregnancies compared with singletons and four times more common in triplets. The rate of congenital anomalies in twins is estimated at about 4% compared with 2% in singletons. Monozygotic twins have twice the incidence of congenital abnormalities compared with dizygotic twins. In a cohort of twins with known chorionicity, the prevalence of congenital anomalies in monochorionic twins was estimated at about 6% compared with 3% for dichorionic twins the presence of multiple fetuses increases the mathematical probability of the pregnancy being affected by a chromosomal abnormality. So here's what this means. The risk of Down syndrome in either fetus of a 33-year-old woman with a twin gestation is equivalent to the risk of a 35-year-old woman with a singleton pregnancy. Invasive diagnostic testing in multiple gestations can be technically challenging due to position of the fetuses, possibility of cross-contamination of the samples, and difficulty in mapping the fetuses. Serum screening for aneuploidy is not as sensitive in twin gestations with an increased false positive rate. Single nucleotide polymorphism-based non-invasive prenatal tests, or NIPs, appear to be able to identify triploid, unrecognized twin, and vanishing twin pregnancies. However, the accuracy of screening for aneuploidy with NIPS in multiple gestations is limited and is still not recommended by the American College of OBGYN. Lastly, just a quick word about the other maternal possible complications with multifetal gestations. As previously discussed, maternal morbidity is also increased due to an increased prevalence of pregnancy-induced hypertension, gestational diabetes, as well as fetal risks as we've already discussed of preterm delivery, prelabor preterm rupture of membranes, intrauterine growth restriction, and even other things like postpartum hemorrhage after delivery, venous thromboembolism, anemia and hyperemesis gravidarium. Well, that wraps up our podcast covering the basics of multifetal gestations. We'll see you next time.